This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Hello, everybody. We are so glad that you've stayed with us here for Real Presence Live. I'm Father Craig Vosick, your host, coming to you from the University of Mary, coming into our last segment. We are going to talk... We are talking to, now, no longer future, a super-duper scholar. I'm saying this because he's uh, uh, a director for a project that I'm working on, so I'm uh, just I'm playing around. But Dr. Kincaid, thank you so much for being with us. Father, it's good to be with you, <laughs> as always. Yes. Yeah, so we had you speak here at the University of Mary on this topic yes. uh, about St. Paul, and it was fantastic. Uh, turning wow. the world upside down, or the world-changing uh, message of of Saint Paul. So, uh, this is what we want to talk about now. Saint Paul, um, we all know him. He writes a majority of the New Testament outside of the Gospels. Um, so, I think there's already been some books written on him. Did we really, a few. Yeah. Did we really need another one? <laughs> did, did we need it? Probably not. Oh, come on! I yeah. want you to say yes. yes. Yeah, yes, I don't know. We did. I mean, probably <laughs> not. Yeah. Um, but I do think that due to the influence of the apostle across the ages, um, some have said the, the history of philosophy are footnotes to Plato, but then the f- history of theology are footnotes to Paul. Mm. So in a certain sense, the whole history of Christian theology, above all in the Catholic faith, is a deep reflection on Paul. Not only Paul, obviously, sure. but Paul is at the heart of the church's faith. And so even though Paul... 2,000 years old, his influence is as important today as ever before. And so yeah. the book that we wanted to write, Brant Petrie, Michael Barber, and I, brings that conversation, that is who the apostle is, what is his theology, into the 21st century in light of contemporary debates and say, here is a cohesive vision of the apostle, mm. his theology, mm. as formed by the Catholic faith sure. in a way that is accessible to everyone. It was kind of, it's meant as a textbook to some degree for both mm. uh, undergraduate and graduate level, mm-hmm. but at the same time for scholars that it would be helpful to them and for anyone who wants to learn more about the apostle. And our idea is that our common Catholic faith gave us the resources in order to draw out of Paul what he's really saying and bring out his richness. So I just want to step back to a little biographical piece here. Uh, You mentioned that you co-authored this with Michael Barber and Brant Petrie. Uh, For people who are not uh, tuned in, and you should be tuned in, people. If you're not tuned in to these names, you got to be tuned in to these guys. So in the realm of sort of... uh, Biblical scholarship, and not just on the not just on the academy side, but on the the promotion of literature that is accessible to the people in the parish, so that they can really learn the Bible and really learn what's going on with these things. These guys, Doctor Kincaid, who we're speaking with right now, Michael Barber, Brand Petrie, these guys are big names, and they are really, really super duper helpful. And I'm not just saying that uh, in a casual way anymore. Like they're super duper helpful because they are engaging, and because what what happens a lot of times uh there's a a movement in protestantism that has sort of hijacked the biblical scholarship world and so catholics think well if i study the bible then i'm a protestant or if i study uh books about the bible it's probably going to be by protestants and these gentlemen have been laboring 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 to interface with 
uh, Protestants, but also in the market that is dominated by Protestants, to say, wait, 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 what is it? The Bible is not a Protestant book. It is a Catholic book, and let's right. celebrate this with real scholarship that can really feed the people. And so the book that you co-authored, uh, Michael Barber is a name on his own. Bram Petrie, a name on his own. You are a name on your own, and these, and that you guys co-authored this magnificent book. I just, uh, I just want everybody to go buy Paul, a New Covenant Jew, rethinking Paul and theology. It's absolutely fabulous. The one okay, point that I you. really like about it, uh, the book, and we'll continue to talk about it, um, is this idea. Uh, to call Paul a New Covenant Jew, and maybe I'm kind of stealing away from what you would want to say because this is a main point that's brought up, at least in part of the book, uh, is that someone could see that the Old Testament is like the old thing, the New Testament is the new thing, and like you just have to divide it in the person of Jesus, and like pff, old is old, new is new, and like get rid of everything else. And so then Paul, who's part of this Old Covenant as a Jew, once he becomes a Christian, he's like, nope, no more Old Testament, right. no more Jewish, I'm no longer any of that. And, right. it, and you could maybe think that because he says, I put on the new and uh, all things are new. And he says all these, be recreated, leave. He, so he kind of s- says these sorts of things. It was like, no, no, no. He hated the Judaism that he came from and he renounced it. And he said, no, Christianity is like the antith. Uh, we can say all these different things, but the, the task of this book is like, no, 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 no. He is Jewish. That's right. Who has embraced Jesus. That's right. So it's. So there's been a number of really important developments in contemporary New Testament scholarship. And one of them is recognizing that to get Jesus of Nazareth right, you have to understand him in his first century Jewish context, that Jesus was a Jew. He's Jew, yeah. Speaking to Jews. (laughs) And the more you understand Judaism of Jesus' day, the more Jesus' message fits. Mm. It's historically intelligible. Mm. And it shows that Jesus actually makes a lot of sense. And he made... uh, claims in a context that would would actually resonate in Jewish ears. Along those same lines, the same thing has happened with the Apostle Paul, that in contemporary scholarship, it has been determined across all kinds of academic and uh, church lines, scholars across a myriad of perspectives say, yeah, Paul was Jewish. He says he's Jewish. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews, as he tells the Philippians. Mm. And he was a Jew to the day he died. The question is, what kind of Jew, right? Because before meeting Jesus of Nazareth alive, right, he says he's a Pharisee. And he, the book of Acts says that he was a student of Gamaliel, one of the great rabbis of the first century. So something happened on the road to Damascus that fundamentally changed the Apostle Paul, the, the course of human history. Yeah. And it fundamentally changed how Paul understood his Jewish faith. So I think, and what I mean by that is, and here's kind of a question I give to my students, and that is, if you went up to ask Paul and said, are you a Jew, Paul? He would have said, to the day he died, including after meeting Jesus of Nazareth alive, yes, Mm. of course I'm a Jew. Mm. But what that means is that now that he's seen the resurrected Messiah of Israel, that his understanding of what that means to be faithfully Jewish now Mm. has fundamentally changed. That is, that the new covenant that was promised in Jeremiah and alluded to in Ezekiel and other prophets, that a day would come when this new covenant would, in a certain sense, fulfill and even transcend the greatness of the Mosaic covenant. Mm -hmm. When that day comes, it will bring unprecedented salvation for Israel, and the nations are in view, and will bring in almost as it were like a new age, a new a new world. And so when Paul sees Jesus, he thinks that day has come, 
And that fundamentally redefines how he expresses himself as a Jew, that it's no longer Mosaic Covenant Judaism, but he's a new covenant Jew who is a minister of that new covenant, and that includes both Jew and Gentile, and that gives rise to what we know as the early church. So I want to go somewhere, Dr. Kincaid, uh, maybe just to draw this out um, for 21st century North Dakotan. Sure. South Dakota, Minnesota, whoever, Southern Canadian, whoever's listening right now. Um, and I'm going to step away from Paul, but then hopefully you'll be able to make the connection back. Sure. In Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus is telling a parable about a father and his two sons. The one son leaves, you know, parable of the prodigal son. The older son stays home. And uh, the younger son loses everything, but then he's welcomed back. The older son has always been there. And then typically what happens when this, this uh, gospel is given is that the preacher then says, well, which son are you? Are you the son who has left and needs to come back? Or are you the son that's always been close but never recognized you don't have gratitude? And um, sure, it's great to do that. Uh, however, I'm, and I'm not a Bible scholar. You are. I don't, that's, not what, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about lavish living and ingratitude. He's talking, in my mind, he's talking about the Gentile nations, <laughs> mm. the son who's not part of the covenant, squanders it all, he's not part of the covenant, and the older son is the Jewish people. So he says at the beginning of, of chapter 15, Jesus, looking at the Pharisees, recognizing that they were right, self-righteous or whatever, tells them this parable. So he talks about the lost son or the sheep. He talks about the lost coins and he talks about the lost son. And he's talking to the Pharisees that they need to be open to the Gentiles. And a 21st century person reading this, you're like, what's going on here? Like, uh, how, I don't even fit into this. So coming to Paul, when we see him talking, we're not thinking, you're, you're talking about the first century context of Jesus, the first century context of Paul. We have to get that. We do. We do. Yeah. If, if we don't get that when we read the when we read the scripture, just like okay, he was doing something, then he started doing something else, and like I don't really get what get this it. is all about. Right. Um, so um, there's been a growth, I think, in uh, in the sort of first century Judea, Judeo uh, or Palestine studies. Yes. That is super important. I would imagine you would make that case that it's super important to understand the context of the first century. It is, and I think that it shows a number of things. One that what both Jesus and Paul spoke about was a message that made, while revolutionary in a certain sense, fit within that world. Right. And the more we can understand that world, the more we can actually get them right on their own terms. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't have tons of implications for us today. Of course, that it does. This is exactly the point I was hoping that we could get to. Exactly. That it mattered then and it matters now. It matters yeah. now. Yeah. It's not an either or. Right. But imagine if you're reading Shakespeare. And you want to div do a deep dive into his plays, and you're like, well, I, I really don't care much to understand England of Shakespeare's day. Right. You're cutting off the degree <laughs> to which you're going to have be able to understand Shakespeare. Now, sure. you'll get something of it, yeah, yeah. but you won't be able to get the full resonances mm. of the way he uses the language and refers to figures against the backdrop of the England or the Europe of his day. Mm. So much more so for the New Testament. So rigorous faithful scholarship out of the heart of the church isn't afraid of those historical contexts. In fact, it helps you draw out more the beauty and truth of what both Jesus said in the Gospels that you were alluding to, uh, and Paul himself, because Paul, when he tells the Corinthians and St. Corinthians, that he's a minister of the new covenant. 
right. not of the letter, but of the spirit. Mm. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. When he says that, and we hear it in mass and we read it, it, it moves us. But Paul is strongly both alluding and echoing the promises made to Jeremiah and Ezekiel that this day of a new covenant will come. And so if you understand what Jeremiah and Ezekiel were doing and what the expectations were in the first century, then what Paul says jumps off the page. Right. Rather than just being something you're used to hearing. In right, 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 right. This is super duper important. All right, everybody, you're, you're catching a little bit of uh, the scholarly uh, brilliance of Dr. Kincaid as he is uh, visiting with us about Paul, both first century uh, Judaism, and uh, this is all coming from this book. Well, not all coming from this book, but it's the, it, this is unfolded in this book, Paul, A New Covenant Jew, uh, which I want you to go buy because it's really great. Um, and I get a cut on it. I actually get royalties. So it's, no, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and, and talk a little bit more about uh, St. Paul uh, and some of these maybe other passages or various things going on there that is really helpful for us to, to understand so that we can bear more fruit with it. So stay with us. This is Real Presence Live. We'll be right back. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Do you want to make sure Real Presence Radio continues to receive your support in perpetuity? This can now be accomplished by establishing an individual endowment account in your name with a minimum gift of $10,000. A distribution will be made annually in your name to assure future generations will continue to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the mission of Real Presence Radio. To learn more about establishing an individual endowment for Real Presence Radio, a gift which will last in perpetuity, Please call me, Mike Kidrowski, at 701-290-4503. State tax credits may apply in some states. Let's get started. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision offers eye exams for the whole family, contact lenses, glasses, and vision therapy services. Our specialized vision therapy program works to improve how the eyes work together as a team. We work with our patients to improve reading difficulties, lazy eyes, eye turns, and focusing problems, which can be detrimental to performance in the classroom and on the job. You can learn more about our mission at lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. 
Hello, everybody. This is Father Vasek, your host, coming to the end of our program today, Real Presence Live, visiting with Dr. John Kincaid, Ph.D. He's the Administrative Chair of University-Wide Programs here at the University of Mary. We love that he is here. We have stolen him from other places, other people who probably want him. But he has chosen us, the University of Mary, to be his abiding place for the last couple of years, and we're so That's grateful. Right. Wow. Grateful to be here. It's a wonderful place. It really is. So we're talking a little bit of some things connected to his book, Paul, A New Covenant Jew, but uh, it's not the only thing you're ever going to find from this guy. He's got other works out there and in, in, in process and various other things. I don't know if he wants to talk about those today <laughs> or not, but um, let's, talk, let's continue this conversation about Paul. Um, let's talk about uh, what he preached, his, his gospel, we could say. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's not a gospel called the gospel according to St. Paul. That doesn't exist as a, as a letter, no. Right. Uh, however, the many times he does, it it would take it wouldn't take long in reading Paul to recognize how often he talks about the gospel, my right. gospel. Right. So it would be it's really important for getting Paul right to understand. Well, what does Paul mean when he says yeah. gospel? Yeah. And we say it all the time. Yeah. You know, the gospel of the Lord. So yeah. we're used to it. Yeah. So sometimes the more basic question is, well, what did he mean by that? Yeah. Um, and in the can book, I, can I stop just for a yeah, moment? For sure. Because sure. I, I was cruising around with um, a lot of non-Catholic uh, Christian evangelism groups when I was younger. Yeah. And um, and they would go around and they would I, I, they would say, "Well, I, I met with Dave yesterday and I shared with him the gospel." The gospel. Yeah. Right. And um, and then when so I understood what they're saying because I was hanging out with them. But when they would say that around a Catholic, the Catholic would be like, "You read to them the gospel, yeah, exactly, of Mark or right, something exactly, like that." Right. And they're like, "That seems really strange. Like, why'd you read to them? I shared with him the I shared. I told him about the gospel according to Saint Matthew. That's not what they mean. No, when they say that. I shared with them the gospel, they're saying the kerygma, a saving uh, message. The saving. I shared with them mm-hmm. that they're a sinner and that they're and that they're going to burn <laughs> if they don't have a savior. And there is a savior who has been appointed, whose precious blood has been shed. And if they accept him, him right now they will have everlasting life right. that's what they shared with them yes you know right so i think that's what we're we're talking about here with that's them. a lot of it and <laughs> that is important for paul right there's no question that when paul says gospel that's a part of it so when he says gospel he means good news right it's news and in the roman empire it was news yeah um, and you would see sometimes you would have emperors use the term gospel mm. to talk about their conquests so you would have some of the great emperors who would win in a battle or they would have a great victory they would say here's the gospel the good news of caesar augustus oh. and it would be announcing his triumph so paul uses the term gospel to announce a triumph but it's announcing something even greater than any Caesar could bring. Mm. What is it? What is the news he went around announcing? And that is Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and risen, is Lord. And he's Lord in a much greater way than Caesar Augustus or Nero or even David and his heirs. That is, he beat death. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And the very thing that you could never almost really truly believe about a Roman emperor, that is that he beat death. Sometimes they come up with stories about that, the apotheosis of a given emperor, that he actually beat death, but it, it never... We, they, they knew deep down it wasn't true. Right? Oh, wow. All right. But what Paul's going around telling someone, uh, telling the empire is, this is true. He did beat death, and I'm here to tell you because I saw it. This isn't something I'm making up. It took me over on the road to Damascus, and I'm here to testify, and if you kill me for this, I'm willing to be killed over it. He's announcing this. 
And the amazing part about it, he's inviting both his fellow Jews and non-Jews, what you would call a Gentile, to come and be part of this people that this resurrected Lord is forming that we call the church. And the gospel is this, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Not the emperor. He, Jesus is the Son of God. And then all those who belong to him can become sons and daughters of God. That's the good news. That's the gospel he went around announcing to the empire. And it's through the death and resurrection of the Son of God that both Jew and Gentile can receive forgiveness of sins, as you're saying, the precious blood. But it's not merely about the forgiveness of sins. It's not only it's not merely about fire insurance, you know, like getting out of hell. <laughs> it's also it's fire also a, a, about through that blood becoming a son and daughter of God. Yeah. Adopted into his family. Yep. Such that we can become by grace what Jesus is by nature sons and daughters of God. And that's a revolutionary message to say you can really become a son of God. And that happens within the covenant, right? So covenant within the ancient world would create family, just as covenant does today in, say, marriage. It creates family where Mm. it doesn't exist. Mm. In the new covenant, it enables both Jew and Greek to become the family of God, to actually become a family member of the living God, which was a kind of message that Paul not only was willing to give his life for, which he did, but it tur- as we said at, the, you said at the beginning, it turned the world upside down. It's a kind of message that both his fellow Jews found amazing, as he sold to the Corinthians, a stumbling block because the Messiah was crucified, but foolishness to Greeks because what you're saying, that the real Lord, even greater than Caesar, is a crucified and risen Jew? who then through him, we can become actually sons of God? Paul say, exactly. <laughs> because he beat death, and he is the, the Lord of heaven and earth, and he can grant to you his spirit in his life. Is this in the book? It's in the book. This is all in the book? It is. Well, my goodness, everybody, this is Father Vasek, and I'm visiting with Dr. Kincaid, and we're talking a little bit about uh, some things that you can find when you order 10 copies of Paul, a New Covenant <laughs> Jew, Rethinking Pauline Theology. I want to just uh, read something from the Office of Readings this morning uh, from St. Leo the Great. You're talking about Jesus mm. beating death. The power of his death once confronted our death. In the words of Hosea the prophet, death, I shall be your death, grave, I shall swallow you up. By dying, he submitted to the laws of the underworld. By rising again, he destroyed them. He did away with the everlasting character of death, so as to make death a thing of time, not of eternity. As all die in Adam, so all will be brought to life in Christ. So this is Leo. Uh, but it's very Paul. It's very, very Pauline. Right. Exactly. Where did Leo the Great come up with that? Right. He's quoting from Paul. Exactly. <laughs> First Corinthians 15, I think, or whatever. In, in Romans 5, with oh, Adam and Christ. Right. right? And, yeah. and First Corinthians 15, right. Yeah. So it's kind of a combination of Pauline themes yeah. and texts that just flows out of yeah, yeah. one of the great pontiffs of the early the fathers. Church. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great, Dr. Kincaid, we're out of time. Oh, Come back right. again? I'd love to, yeah. <laughs> great. 
Thank you so much for being with us, That's everybody. My Dr. Kincaid is our administrative chair of university-wide programs at the University of Mary. He is a scholar. He has uh, got a bunch of books on his desk. You, can you talk about that? Is that public or not really? You're working I'm on working something. on one. Yeah, right, I'm working, working on, on Paul on justification. So <laughs> okay. please pray for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That you don't get swallowed up by not death, but books. Books, exactly. Great. All right. Therese, we want to hear about what's happening at Real Presence Live in the future. Yeah, thank you, Father. Great show today. And we have another great show coming up tomorrow on the next Real Presence Live. That's Wednesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Heather Caro and Linda Baldwin will be your hosts coming to you live from the Mustard Seed Catholic Store in Sioux Falls. We'll have, we'll have Father Raymond Courtright from the Diocese of Fargo on for a segment celebrating 20 years of Real Presence Radio. And what is stewardship? Steve Shones will be on to talk more about this. All that and much more will be coming up on the next Real Presence Live. That's Wednesday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Back to you, Father. All righty. Thank you, Therese. We have come to the end of our show, but I don't have anything to say, so I'm going to keep talking to Dr. Kincaid off the record. No, no, still on the record, but off the segment. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about, Dr. Kincaid. All right. Right. Just go? Yeah, go. Right now? Well, I think we should maybe stay on Paul, maybe. Sure. So I think one of the links that I was mentioning about the gospel, yeah. what flows from the gospel. Yeah. Well, what happens when you become a, a son or daughter? And it's the life of grace for Paul. So you think about, we talk about grace all the time is another term we use quite yeah. frequently, yeah. Uh, like gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, what do we mean by grace? Well, how did Paul use the term? Well, you think about the preponderance of use of the term grace in scripture is in Paul just like gospel. So what is it that we're talking about? Well, for Paul, grace fits within an ancient world of gift giving. So in antiquity, if you would give someone a gift, that would bring friendship, that would bring a sense of responsibility to the one you give the gift to. And it, we think of gift giving today as kind of sometimes no strings attached. So Father, I give you a gift, you know, I give you, you know, a cup of coffee. You, you could do with that whatever you'd like. But in the ancient world, the gifts brought with it some responsibility, some mm. kind of obligation. Paul, in the account of grace, is that. It brings responsibility. But what's so amazing about Paul's account of grace is that the gift actually enables you to meet the responsibilities mm. that comes with it. Mm. So for Paul, grace is transformative. It empowers the recipients to become the very people that God wants them to be. And what is that? Just like his natural son. Yeah. Grace is the gift that empowers you to be like Jesus of Nazareth. Rather than being mere like, I'm going to pick up my bootstraps and become better through my own effort alone. Grace empowers you to become like Christ. And with that, Dr. Kincaid, we're going to bring it to a close. May the Lord pour out his blessing upon all of you that you may receive grace to live and abide in the love of Jesus Christ. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God bless you all. See you later. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence Radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. 
Real Presence Live. Local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.